0: You do have to pick them up afterwards, but you can enjoy uh, listening if you'd like. Uh, If you're uh, new with us today, we're doing something highly unusual for um, us as a church family. Normally, we work our way passage by passage through uh, books of the Bible from beginning to end. But right now, we're taking six weeks to uh, consider what the Scriptures say about the topic of money and there's so much the Bible says we can't exhaust it, but we're trying to get a sample of the scriptural instructions for us relevant to our money and possessions. We're getting towards the end here. We just have this week and next, but a few things we've uncovered together by way of a review is we looked at the fact that we can't serve God in money, that either God or money will be our master. And that when God is our master, so when money is not, then we find ourselves using the resources God's given us and leveraging those resources for the spiritual good of others. We also looked at the fact that instead of worrying, we can trust our faithful father. That God promises that as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he will provide for our needs. And so that pressing anxiety... So much of the time we feel relevant to money is not something God would have for us. And there is a way out of it. And it's not to simply make more, but rather it's to trust God. We also saw that for those of us who, as we look into our future, especially if we're young, then our higher earning days are probably still ahead of us. And that there's a particular temptation we need to watch out for. And that's that as we make more, we will be tempted to commensurately trust God less. And then finally, last week, we looked at the fact that if we are in a season of time in our lives when we have more, then there are particular dangers we have to watch out for. And there are wonderful good works that God has set before us All of these uh, messages are on the website, and um, additionally, we've been putting out blog posts that have uh, tools to help you practically put into practice the things we've looked at. They're on the table in the back by the coffee bar if you're interested in that. Today, uh, we're going to consider the issue of generosity. So if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 12, that's where we'll be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, underneath the seat in front of you is a, a blue one. And on page 495, you'll find Mark chapter 12. By way of introduction, before we read uh, the text, if you knew that in less than one week you would die, how would you spend the remaining days? Think about that for a moment. If you knew without a shadow of a doubt in less than seven days you would pass. Pass what would you occupy your few hours with? Maybe the first thing that jumps to your mind is the meal you'd like to eat or what hobby you most enjoy getting to do it again or traveling to some place you've always wanted to go with somebody you love but haven't gotten around to it. But maybe if you think about it longer, then probably what we'd all find ourselves contemplating is who are the most important people to me and what are the most important things I'd want to pass on to them. That's how you'd use your last week. Think of a a daughter who might want to go to her mom and thank her for the unconditional love that she showed. Think about a boss taking her brightest young employee and communicating what it would take to lead that company in the future. Think about a Christian wanting to go to someone they love who doesn't know Christ and to lovingly, passionately plead with them to come to Christ. Maybe a father would want to sit down with his son and communicate that even though your earthly father is about to be gone, your heavenly father never will be. I think these are the kinds of conversations we'd find ourselves caught up in in those very few hours left. Well, friends, did you know that in the first century, Jesus faced this exact situation? Jesus knew precisely when he would die. And a large amount of the material in the biographies, in the scriptures, about this time in Jesus' life is precisely. Communicating to us the way in which he spent those final days and hours. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all devote significant attention to this period of Jesus' life. In fact, Mark chapter 12, the entire thing is devoted to this issue. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do if he knew he was just days away? Well, he did know. And in God's kindness to us, these words are recorded that in them we might be spoken to as well. Would you look with me down at verse 41 of Mark chapter 12? And he, the he is Jesus, sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now at the great risk of further confirming in your mind my status as a dork. I do need to point out to you that this passage breaks down nicely into an alliteration. We can think about the place mentioned, the people in the story, and the principle given. You see what I did there? Place, people, principle. Let's just spend a few minutes together considering each one of these First, we've got to notice the place. The events in Mark 12 all occur in the ancient city of Jerusalem in what was the temple. If you were to travel to Jerusalem today, that temple has been destroyed, but the steps up to, as well as the mountain it was built upon, remain. This was the most important place in the entire Old Testament. Now, there's lots of details that we could explore together. In fact, large sections of books in the Old Testament are devoted to describing what this place was like. But the key thing for us to know is that this place was a place of worship. This was a place devoted fully, completely, and finally to recognizing who God is. Church, I wonder if you stopped in the last seven days to remember who God is. God is worthy of our joyful, serious, passionate praise. He is a God without equal. All things were made by Him. They exist for Him, and they continue through Him. He is perfect, and therefore He is worthy of all worship. This temple in the first century was the place dedicated to worship of this great God. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, that's likely not at all a surprise to you. But what might be is a detail that you may have missed. The Scripture is undeniably clear that God not only directed the Jewish people where they were to worship, but He also directed them how they were to worship Him. You see, God has a prescribed place, but also prescribed methods. God sets the terms for how he's to be approached. In fact, we find in both the Old and New Testaments that God has given us specific ways in which we offer acceptable worship to him. One of those methods is financial generosity. We give offerings to God to worship God, and then God turns around and uses those offerings to further his work. It was that way in the Old Testament. It's that way in the New Testament. It's been that way throughout church history. And it's true by God's grace in this church. People largely who none of us ever knew bought this land and paid for this building. And by God's grace, because they offered acceptable worship to God, we remain here. Christian, God's clear directive is that you worship him in the way he's prescribed. And part of that is by giving. Now, in Israel's history, from as early as Moses and as late as Jesus, the tabernacle and then the temple were the primary places to go to offer corporate worship as the people of God. And an aspect of what you would do is offer gifts. This is what we see in Mark 12 in terms of the place. Now, most of the text is dedicated to the people. So would you consider with me the people mentioned in this powerful story? If you glance down at verse 41, you'll notice that Jesus is there sitting in the temple, the courtyard. For the rest of the chapter, Jesus has been up teaching. He's been conversing with people, whether that's public teaching or private conversation. He's been actively doing the work of sharing what most needed to be shared. But here, he's just watching. Remember, he's just days from death. But he takes the time to sit down. He takes the time to watch. Did you know people watching is biblical? So when you go to the mall or to the fair or most importantly to Walmart, you are obeying by implication. As Jesus watched the crowd, he noticed a tremendous contrast. He saw wealthy people, and he saw a woman who was obviously Look at the end of verse 41, it says, Many rich people put in large sums. Now we know from extra biblical sources, ancient documents written by the Jews about what worship was like at this time, that the courtyard in the temple was surrounded by 13 receptacles where people would put their offerings. They were shaped like trumpets. Now, not like a trumpet you would think of it today with the, I don't know, three thingies on top. What are those called? What? Yeah. Bowels? Vowels. Oh, okay. That would have been troubling if those were called bowels. But, but inverted, where the, the large part's at the bottom and then it would come up to a cone. And these receptacles were made out of metal. And your coins were also made out of metal. And so, when you went to the temple, and in particular, if you had a lot, then you'd come with your money bag, and if you were like these particular wealthy people, then it seems as though they would lift that money bag up as high as they could, so that as that money fell in, what would happen? Clank, clankety clank, clank. Look at me. I give more than you. I am spiritual. God is impressed with me. Now, practically speaking, these large gifts very likely made up an enormous portion of funding the work. And yet, Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus viewed these rich people as merely giving their loose change. And because they were wealthy, that was a lot of change. But they just flaunted their giving as generous, even though it wasn't sacrificial at all. And it's very likely that the people Jesus watched and spoke of here are the same people mentioned in the previous paragraph. Look at verse 38. It says, And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes. The scribes are in the upper echelon of the religious authorities of the day. Largely wealthy people. Beware of the scribes who like to walk in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at the feast who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. The picture is that these were people who outwardly loved to look religious, but inwardly could not have been more distant from the God they pretended to know. Now compare those wealthy scribes with the poor widow. This woman would have been invisible, to most everyone who ever was around her. And yet Jesus saw her. Jesus noticed. The king of the universe was captured by a nobody. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus isn't enraptured by what may appear on the outside he is caught up with what's on the inside unafraid she she slipped in humbly quietly reverently and dropped her two little coins in the offering you'll notice verse 42 says that she gave two small copper coins these were what's called lepta lepta was the smallest of all the jewish coins And the word lepta means, or leptos means peeled. There's some people that think the coin was literally named after a peeling because it was so tiny and worthless. So these two tiny copper coins weren't good for much anything. In Jewish currency, they couldn't buy much at all. But then notice the next phrase. It says, which make a penny. Now, this is the translators trying their best to describe for us what this was like, but the actual word is a quadrant. A quadrant was the Roman equivalent of the smallest coin they had. So, two tiny Jewish coins equaled the smallest of the Roman coins. For us, that's a penny. Have you been in the grocery store recently and seen what people do when they drop pennies? They do nothing. We just move on. They're almost not worth anything. And yet this poor widow put in her two lepta as an act of worship to her Lord. She gave one of a day's wage. If you use the median income in Arizona today, the widow gave the equivalent of $2.13. That's not much. You definitely can't buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks for that. $2.13. But notice, brothers and sisters, that that's all she had. That's all of it. As I've worked on sermons for this series, I've uh, been listening to uh, the podcast put out by the Christian whose money advice is most uh, broadly referred to today. And um, frankly, he gives a lot of practical, useful counsel. But the beginning of his podcast always starts the exact same way. And uh, probably a third of you, I would guess, can quote it to me. But he says, uh, welcome to the, you're embarrassed now, aren't you? It's fine. Listen to him. A lot of good practical counsel. Welcome to the Dave Ramsey show where debt is dumb, cash is king, and the paid off home mortgage has replaced the BMW as the status symbol of choice. And that's who we're getting our counsel from in terms of what God would say about money. If this widow had listened to Dave Ramsey, what would she have done? At most, she might have said, here's two lepta, I'll give one. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? And yet in this case, this woman gave it all. The contrast Jesus drew in the temple Couldn't be clearer. The rich scribes gave a lot. The widow gave a little. The rich scribes gave insincerely. The widow gave sincerely. The rich scribes gave out of abundance. The widow gave out of poverty. The rich scribes gave for themselves. The widow gave for God. The rich scribes gave in pretense. The widow gave in praise. Brothers and sisters, which giver are... You. If you give half Church on Mill's annual budget, but you give so to be noticed, compare that to if you only have a little, but you give with joy. That's the picture being given for us. Now notice what Jesus says in conclusion. Let's look at it together, verse 43. And he called his disciples to him. So he's watching this unfold, and then he says, I've only got a few more sentences I have time to share. And one of them is so crucial, I've got to gather my closest disciples and communicate this to them. Truly I say to you, this is poor widow put in more than all the others who are contributing to the offering box. I think this is the most astonishing part of the story because certainly any of us would agree that the widow's gift was authentic and unhypocritical and therefore a better gift. But notice that Jesus' commendation goes way further than that. Jesus doesn't just say she gave out of generosity, and they didn't. He does say that. But he specifically says that the pennies she gave were more than the rich scribes. Now how can that possibly be? If you really stop to think about that, I think it's one of the more remarkable claims Jesus ever made, that these people who gave a lot Gave less than this widow who only gave a little. Well, Friends, that brings us to the principle, the point of this story. God measures offerings not by the size of the gift, but by the heart of the giver. God measures offerings not by the size of the gift, but by the heart of the giver. You see, the genuineness of the worshiper's heart is of far greater importance than the amount given. For worship to be acceptable to God, it's got to be two things. It's got to be the right methods that he's prescribed, and it's got to be done with the right motive. You can give massive amounts of money, but if the motive is the promotion of self, you might as well just keep that money. But you can also give a little, and give so with gratitude and a humility and a joy that will be ever-pleasing to God. We see this principle other places in Scripture, of course. In three weeks from, two weeks from today, we'll begin the book of 1 Samuel together, and we'll journey our way through that book up until the fall, Lord willing. There's a place in the book of 1 Samuel where Samuel's been told by God to go find a new king and anoint him. And so he goes on this journey, and God tells him, I'm going to tell you when you come across the new king for you to be anointed. Now, they had a king. His name was Saul. And Saul looked like you'd expect a king to look. Big, tall, beefy, handsome, a man of command. And yet this kingdom had not turned out well under this king. And Samuel, no doubt, went thinking, there's going to be another guy like that. And yet the first two people he came to, God said, no, 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 no. Not that one. Not that one. And as he was trying to make sense of this, 1 Samuel 16 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Friends, the issue in our giving is not how much we give. The issue is the heart. The issue is why. Now, friend, if you're here this morning and you're undecided about Jesus, thanks for getting up out of bed. Thanks for coming to spend time with us. Don't misunderstand this message nor what this church aims to teach. The Christian message is not, give like the widow and buy your way into God's good graces. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not a religion that says, you've got to clean yourself up on the outside for God to find you acceptable. Christianity says the opposite, actually. Christianity says you cannot clean yourself up. You see, while we may be able to fool ourselves by adapting our behavior, God sees our hearts. God knows of the inward wickedness we all have. And the way into rightness with God, if we could say it that way, is not by changing our behavior but rather by getting a new heart. If you're here today and you're not a believer, we would love more than anything to tell you more about that. Would you stick around after the gathering and ask somebody sitting around you, tell me about your own experience with that heart transplant stuff? There's quite literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people who'd love to tell you their own experience with the grace of God. But if you're here this morning and you're already a Christian, understand, God is totally disinterested in hollow, hypocritical religion. God does not want your money if it comes from a posture of pretension. God wants your love. God wants your devotion. God wants your praise. Part of that is money. But this is so much true that a widow's pennies are worth more to him than an insincere wealthy person's thousands. The only way that makes sense is if God looks not on our outward appearance but on the inward posture of our heart. Now, this poor widow, in this instance, gave everything. She was radically generous. She would know nothing of Dave Ramsey's advice when it comes to giving. Because while the rich scribe gave in self-promotion, she gave in self-denial. She knew God's not impressed by big donations. He's impressed with hearts bowed before him. Now, frankly, in one sense, I think this little story, it's only a few verses, this little story is like a wrecking ball. I mean, it is crushing. On Wednesday, as I sat down to write this, I found myself literally weeping as I saw how unlike that humble lady I am. Motives matter. And you might be able to trick your mama, but you can't trick God. God sees. God knows. And to one degree or another, haven't we all found ourselves to be hypocritical in some way? Now, in another sense, I think this passage is also freeing and motivating because Anytime there is a conviction from God, it is always designed to lead to a repentance that would bring about restoration. And this story is no different. So let me put it this way. Church, small gifts make a big difference. And by big difference, I don't mean compiled, we can do something together. That's true. But I mean a big difference to God because God knows the heart. You don't have to have a lot of money to be used by God in significant ways. This unnamed widow dropped in all that she had. And roughly 21 centuries later, we're still talking about it. You don't have to give thousands to be right in your worship of God. You do have to give from a genuine heart, willing to give whatever God would call you to give. You see, God measures gifts not by the size of the gift, but by the heart of the giver. And therefore, this text tells us to give sincerely and sacrificially. Now, just like we said last week, in the week before that, Jesus' point isn't being rich is wrong. That's just not true. nor was his instruction that your offering must always be all that you have. If this widow gave everything she had every time, where would she have been? Not a trick question. You can't give it all away all the time. And yet, are there ever times that God might call you to give a whole paycheck, it would certainly seem in this instance, that's what this widow felt. Now, think with me if we read between the lines about why that might be. The text doesn't explicitly teach this, but it certainly seems like a probability. Remember why Jesus is in Jerusalem. Why is Jesus in Jerusalem at this particular time? He's come because it's Passover. And in Passover, it was very common for Jews who lived all sorts of places to travel to Jerusalem in order to be there, bring in their lambs as they remembered the Exodus. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this woman, this widow who had so little, Was so enraptured by the memory of God delivering his people out of the Exodus that as she thought about God doing that in that way, she was so moved that she gave all that she had. Now, if she saw that looking back at the cross, back at uh, the Exodus, how much more should we see the same looking back at the cross? You see, she just saw the preview while we know the person. She just saw the shadow while we know the substance. The Exodus was always designed to point forward to the true Lamb of God who would die for sinners, taking their place and then rising again. What if there were a church that embodied the sincerity and sacrifice of the widow? What if there were a church where there weren't just two or three who gave sacrificially with joy, but rather an overflowing amount of people who are generous? Friends, think about Jesus watching happily. As we give joyfully. Again, irrespective of how much that is, think about the ministry in Tempe and beyond we could do if there were more. But perhaps most importantly for our purposes this morning, think of the difference the heart of the widow would make in your own relationship with Jesus. Think about the way in which giving generously is the antidote, biblically, to greed. And how cultivating a heart full of gratitude would impact every single sphere of your life. That's what God longs for, for you. Because you can't serve God and money. When teaching on this text in 1857... A pastor named J.C. Ryle in England said this, The stinginess of professing Christians in all matters which concern God and religion is one of the most crying sins of the day and one of the worst signs of the times. The givers to Christ's cause are but a small section of the visible church. Not one baptized person in 20 probably knows anything of being rich towards God. The vast majority spend pounds on themselves and give not even a pence to Christ. Let us mourn over this state of things and pray to God to amend it. Let us pray him to open men's eyes and awaken men's hearts and stir up in us a spirit of liberality. Above all, let us each do our own duty, give liberally and gladly. Friends, let's pray the same things for this church family that J.C. Ryle prayed for his. May we be going forward so in tune with Jesus that we are ever aware of the extent to which he gave himself that we might know him. And may the gratitude of our salvation be what drives our generosity. Jesus gave all. May we give and give from hearts of genuine praise. Let's pray. I'm to give you just a moment in quiet prayer and reflection. And I'd ask Pastor Randy if you would come close us.